Hey folks, Rob here. What you're about to hear is Dave and his partner from the Blake 7 podcast Spacefall, that's Richard, uh, reviewing the new Star Wars movie, Solo. Now, normally I'd be all over this kind of thing. I haven't missed a Star Wars film at the cinema since 1980. Yeah, 1980. And for the past couple of decades, since I've been an adult, they've often been midnight screenings. Um, yeah, I'm that person who gets up for work at 5am, works all day, stays up all night, goes to a midnight screening, gets home at 3 in the morning, and then gets up again at 5 the next day for work with, you know, two hours sleep. I, I am that dude. I have been that dude. But this time around, you'd have to be kidding me. In the lead-up to Solo... My Star Wars mojo has left me like you wouldn't believe, and I've decided I won't be watching the film at all in the cinema. Now, that's a big call, I know, especially for a guy who once did 40-odd episodes of the world's only Star Wars and Doctor Who mashup podcast, that was Who Wars, so you might well be asking, well, why, Rob, why? And here it is. Primarily, Han Solo is my main childhood hero, full stop. Recasting this character, even as a young man who can conceivably be different looking and a bit different acting to my hand solo, has to be done really carefully, and in Olden Ehrenreich, I just haven't been convinced at all. Even in the most recent trailers, where, as we know in trailers, Hollywood can polish the largest of turds and make them look absolutely amazing and 5,000 times better than the movies actually are, even in the trailers... He hasn't convinced me. He looks flat, he looks boring, and the rest of the movie looks like a really simplistic heist film. You know, given all the plot points I know the movie would slavishly have to cover, like, oh, hand meeting Chewie and hand winning the Falcon from Lando, plus what I saw in these trailers, this sort of heist film, did I really need to see this at the cinema? I've decided I don't. Now, I could go much deeper, but you're here for the main act of Dave and Richard, so I won't go into a 30-minute soliloquy on this topic. Suffice to say, the movie just didn't look that interesting to me. It looks like Star Wars by numbers, with a bloke I'm unconvinced by, pushed out, you know, six months after the last Star Wars film. Frankly, that's an appalling state of affairs for a Star Wars film, and I'm no longer a big enough fan to just eat up whatever's put in front of me. I'm going to start being very picky with what Star Wars I consume from here on. I've already pretty much given up on the spin-off novels, for example, when back in the olden days, in the days of the extended universe, I actually bought and read every one of them. But I digress. Does that mean I'm not going to buy the DVD? Am I going to boycott that too? No, no, no. I'll, I'll buy that. I do want to see the film at some stage, even though I'm totally spoiled on it already and know exactly what's going to happen. I'm just in no rush to see it at the cinema or contribute to its box office, period. And you know, in closing, I think Disney needs to realise it can't churn out any old rubbish and push it out super fast. I mean, seriously, can anyone tell me why they didn't let another six months go by so this wasn't so soon after The Last Jedi? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? No? Um... They need to stop treating Star Wars like the Marvel movies. Star Wars isn't the Marvel movies. And the original trilogy, spaced out with three years in between each film, that actually made it more special, not less special. I guess we live in different times, though. And it's a whole other topic. So, enjoy the boys' review. I'll see you soon on another Doctor Who show episode. If you're listening to our episodes in order, I think it'll be our Virgin Novel special in a week or two from when this episode drops. So... 
See you then. Well, thank you, Rob, for that introduction. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. And as Rob has flagged, we're going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars film. And before we get started, and we will have a spoiler section later on, and we'll give you plenty of warnings before we go there, Richard, any thoughts on Rob's introduction? Well, honestly, I was also quite fond of Han Solo when I was young. I, uh, well, I obviously went and saw the movie, so clearly my thoughts going in were a little more positive, perhaps, than, than his. I can, I can see, though, why... Uh, he may not want to go and see it because we're, we're probably starting the review here. But it, it, if you take the hand solo out of it, it probably is actually a fairly ordinary movie. Yeah. So look, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts in a moment, but I want to just continue these thoughts that Rob has sort of started because clearly he's not alone. The build-up to this film has been minimal. Minimal. Um, I would suggest that the advertising campaign has been bloody woeful. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it, it almost feels as though Disney is. A little bit embarrassed by this one because they really haven't pushed it. No, uh, I mean I, I did sort of wonder whether the uh, they perhaps you know the audience perhaps Star Wars out. Yeah, look, um, certainly I haven't detected any sort of buzz around this. I haven't seen films, you know, like in the lead up to Last Jedi. You know, there were multiple pe- people that I knew that mentioned to me at work or mm. on social media. You know, I've got my tickets for the midnight screening. I've got my tickets for the first day. You know, there was a real buzz about you know people were going to see this movie. I haven't seen any of that with Solo, a Star Wars film. One thing I did notice, I, I on my drive to work down the Monash Freeway, there's a big billboard that always has the latest movie on it. So right. this year it's had you know, Black Panther for a few weeks, it had Ready Player One for a few weeks, there was the big Infinity Wars poster. Yep. It was only about 10 days ago that it flipped to Solo. Okay. And even then, it wasn't Han Solo on the poster, it was a big, big picture of the Falcon. Ah, uh, okay. So that, that, to me, just also sort of said, not only are they putting the advertising out that's really late, mm. but there is a sort of a... Uh, hinging of it all not so much off the new people but off the come on it's stuff you've seen before it's going to be the falcon it's going to be chewy it's mm. star wars and and that's to me has been the marketing campaign it, it's probably a little hard because you probably have a reasonable idea going in what you're going to be shown yep um it's more how they do it yep. not what they're going to do yeah i would agree with that um, so there, there is a, a sort of a, a checklist, really, I guess, that you could draw up of things you, you probably have a pretty fair guess you're going to see. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that yes, after we, we get will, to the, but... the spoilers one, but we'll talk about that. Um, and I just want to mention as well, before we get into our opinions, uh, the actual screenings that we went to. Now, Richard, you braved the midnight screening I for did this brave one. the midnight. I know you and I both did The Last Jedi at midnight. And, yes. And, and let's face it, we did the three prequels at midnight. We did. And look, I have to say last year, when we went and saw Last Jedi, that was that cinema was packed. Yeah. I, I remember we were a couple of days late in grabbing our tickets, mm. and several of the cinemas in the city were completely sold out. Mm. And we ended up sort of at you know, a, a, a small suburban one, yeah. just, just getting the last couple of tickets sort of in row B. That's right. Uh, was wasn't probably a, an optimal viewing experience, <laughs> but uh, this one I have to say it's in the same cinema where we saw Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and and actually the the actual same actual cinema, oh, okay, uh, the big one, yep, uh, at Doncaster, and I reckon that wouldn't have been much over quarter full. Wow, uh, yeah, um, it was really, really, I would almost say embarrassingly empty. Wow, which which is incredible because I mean you know even even something like. Um... Return of the or Revenge of the Sith, mm. which was coming off the back of two not very well received preview uh, prequels. Let's be honest. Mm. Even that that was full when we yeah. went to see it at midnight, uh, which is a shame. Look, even I, I went to see it on because um, I didn't fly back till, from Canberra until Friday, so I didn't see it till Friday night after work. 
I went to the big local cinema where I saw Infinity Wars. Now, when I saw Infinity Wars in that cinema, it's a nearly a thousand seat cinema, and it was full. Yeah, and we we did Infinity Wars on the first day as well, different cinema. Yep. But and that was absolutely packed to the rafters. Yep. The the, the, the turnout for Solo when I saw it, and I saw the, you know the, the main Friday evening screening at the cinema. It wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't small, but it wasn't this this feeling of like everybody's poured into the cinema after work to come and see the new Star Wars. Mm. All that said, what did we think? We've kind of been a bit down on it here. I did actually enjoy it. Look, for the for the two and odd hours I was in the cinema, I was entertained by it. I will say I didn't think it was anything particularly new or it wasn't a, a, a wow film. But look, it did a really good job of what it had to do. Yeah, I would agree with that broadly. I certainly found it very entertaining. Mm. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't looking at my watch throughout it. The only time I did look at my watch was as I sort of realised we were passing the two-hour mark, and I'm like, they must still have a fair bit to pack into this last mm. 15 minutes. And I was looking going, yeah, it is only 15 minutes, and you know, a few things that I expected <laughs> to happen haven't happened. So I, I was just looking at it like that. Um, my big positive is that I would say of all of this new Disney generation of Star Wars films, I actually think this is the one that most feels like a traditional George Lucas Star Wars film in that okay. it's got the Empire in it, it's got that sort of space adventure vibe, it's got a bit of that Cowboys and Indians sort of mm. thing going, um, you know, the heist movie comes into that sort of thing. Yep. It, it's got really kind of weird Star Wars Muppet aliens. True. Um, which, in some ways, you could say are a little bit cheesy, but like it, it looked like Star Wars, it felt like Star Wars to me. Uh, particularly that opening stuff on Corellia, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, look, I, I did have the note here, it's... It's probably a look. It's it's not as as bleak uh, as Rogue One was, or as dark as Rogue One was. No. There is still obviously a we are seeing the seedy underbelly uh, of of what life under the Empire, or what life on some of these worlds is like. Um, I mean, it's all about crime syndicates, and obviously, you know, kids being used. And there's the he starts off obviously in a Fagan style workhouse. Yeah, um, clearly. So. Yeah, and the, 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 the negative, if you could call it a negative that I'll, I'll mention before we go into our spoiler section, is that it was to me like eating a huge block of chocolate. It's very enjoyable, it's very sweet, you're loving it as it goes down, but after a while you sort of go, gee, I probably had a bit too much of that. Mm. And, and we'll talk about why, uh, well, let's get into it. So, spoiler warning now, after this moment, we are going to just talk about the plot, the characters, what happens, who's yep. whose who's father. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. So, uh, yep, three, two, one, we're now in spoiler territory. So the first thing I'd just like to cover, Richard, is before we went into this movie, yeah. we were all chatting with our mates because, you know, we're all sci-fi fans and, you know, we're all like, oh, there's a new Star Wars movie and what to expect, particularly with all the, all the uh, negative publicity about what was going on. And we said, look, there are things that this movie is going to show us. Oh, for sure. So, and that's the sort of the checklist thing I was referring to earlier. Ex- exactly. So let, let's work through the things that we expected. We expected to get the Kessel run. Yes. Check. Yeah. Han meeting uh, Chewie. Check. Check. Han shooting someone first. Check. Check. <laughs> Han meeting Lando for the first time. Check. Han cheating Lando out of the Falcon. Check. Check. Yeah. Uh, any, any others you expected in there? Um, I guess obviously we see the spice mines on Kessel. Yes. Check. check. Yeah. It, it is hard because that in some ways the movie kind of gets lost. I think in some of that stuff that you know it's going to have to show you and you are kind of waiting for 
okay, well, they've been in the Millennium Falcon. When's he going to get it? Yeah, um, and, and that was what I was referring to before when I was sitting there going, look, I know this is a two-hour 15 film. Yeah. We are now at the two-hour mark. He hasn't got the Falcon. So clearly that has to happen, yep. which means we have to move on from all of this other stuff really mm. quickly. And, you know, like we just knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, again, the big confrontation he has with Willie Harrelson at the end, like you, you know how that's going to end because it needs to set up that you know the big lesson in life is always shoot first. Yes. Uh, which is which is you know a bit of a shame. Let's talk about continuity things that we didn't expect to show up but did, and I'm going to start with the name. Yep. I had no idea that Han Solo was even a confected name. I thought that was ridiculously lame. Yeah, I, that well, that did come out of the blue, that one. Um, I mean, look, I guess it's another tick in the box. Yep. But, yeah, that, that was a bit... I must admit, that, that was a bit weak. Um, and shall we talk here about another piece of continuity yes, that, well, that you, you, you highlighted to me before I went in. You said there would be, quote, a WTF moment. And uh, I was sitting there going through the movie going, I don't think we've had one. And then it happened. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and this is the appearance. Again, it's like your last chance, guys. Spoilers. <laughs> Darth spoiler. Darth spoiler. Yeah, so Darth spoiler turns up. Darth Maul turns up. Now, that was clearly meant to be a big moment where the audience is meant to go, woo, oh my God, wow, amazing. You know, like... um. You know, when somebody turns up in Infinity Wars. Yeah. And the audience is just like, oh, wow, they've included this dude. Instead, I was sitting there literally going, is that Darth Maul? I, I think it's, it's it's Darth Maul. Hang on, is this Darth Maul before... No, no, these are set after the Phantom Minute. What's going on? That actually was pretty much exactly what happened to me. And I turned around and looked around the cinema and everybody was sort of turning to the person next to him going, what, what, what is that Darth Maul? How did that... He, isn't, he was chopped in half. He fell down. Yes. Um, well... Um, to, to the point that I remember when the Phantom Menace came out... There was that story about how they had to change the CGI of Maul falling down that you know shoot mm. thing to have him fall apart to make it clear to the audience this guy is dead he's finished he's not coming back yes and here he is in this movie yes well I was probably fortunate or whatever that the, the chap I went to see it with is actually a probably bigger Star Wars fan clearly than I am because <laughs> he's actually watched all the um, what are you going to say no, I was just going to say hello to Michael if you're listening yes hello Michael if you're listening to this one. Um, he's probably a bigger Star Wars fan, clearly, than I am, because he's watched all the, a lot of the extended universe and animated stuff. Right. Um, and apparently there is a whole Darth Maul storyline in the animated series, uh, Rebels, I think it is, um, where he comes back and he initially, I think, has a cybernetic lower half of his body. Um, but he then, yes, uh, eventually the end of the storyline is that he winds up as, as a crime lord controlling the Crimson Dawn. Right. Now, once he'd explained that to me, it was sort of like, right, okay, that's fine. But yes, I was very much during the movie. I was like, well, hang on, how's that possible? Yeah, it completely took me out of the film. And, and even just the, the fact that he looked different to the point that they had to have him for no reason whatsoever reach over, you know, for, force grab his two-headed light, lightsaber and then fire it up just so we could go, oh, he's got a double-headed lightsaber. I guess it really is Darth Maul. Was, was it actually Ray Park? Um, yeah, look, I'm I'm not sure. Um, given that Ray Park was, you know, had a big reputation for being a very physical actor mm. when he did both Phantom Menace and indeed uh, X Men. Yes, that's right. He was uh, Toad. That's right. He was Toad in X Men. Yeah. Um, both those films were twenty years ago, so I'm not sure whether he's still as uh, active now as he was. But then again, I mean, Jackie Chan, he's not what he used to be, but he's still pretty active at the age of whatever well, he is. So. True. Well, then again, I mean, Darth Maul really only had to sit in a chair and, and like <laughs> well, be, I... be menacing. <laughs> 
Well, I assume that they're trying to set it up for something in the future. Yeah, maybe. But we'll, we'll talk about that later on. Let's have a bit of a chat now with a few key points in the film. One thing that I want to say I actually really quite enjoyed was the stuff on Corellia. Mm. Uh, this, is, to me, was a really good example, and probably one of the very few examples here. Rogue One's probably the only other one I can think of that gave us this idea of what it's like to live under the Empire. Mm. It's very influenced, I thought, by what's going on in America at the moment, uh, you know, with the sort of the immigration stuff and the, the deportations that are being threatened and all the rest of it. There was all that separating of families stuff, right. and if you don't have a visa, you can't get away, all that sort of thing. And I, I, I felt those sort of cultural influences, which is very, very fair. That's what cinema does. But it did, to me, create this idea of, you know, why... Han wants to get out of the Empire, why he wants to get away from Corellia. Uh, and, you know, we had cool Muppet aliens that he had to deal with. And, you know, I, I thought that was a good, it was cheesy, but a good fun sort of opening. Yeah, um, likewise. I mean, I guess we then go on just thinking about life under the Empire. I mean, you know, he does, he signs up and, you know, we'll get you flying a starship in no time, boy, or whatever. Yeah. And then you cut to three years later, he's obviously been drummed out of the Academy, you know, and he's not even in a stormtrooper outfit. He's obviously just in the absolute grunt troops. Yeah. Um, that aren't even, the, you know, they're just being dumped in the... Were you disappointed to not see anything in that three years? Because I, I can't decide. Let me tell you, I can't decide. I thought they would potentially show us something because I'm sure in the official Lucas background, there is uh, there, there are stories of him at the Academy and how he got the Karelian blood stripe or whatever it is on his pants that we see um, initially. And, and yeah, it probably was a bit not, not to see any of that. Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that really would have liked to see something of Han at the Academy. Mm. There is also a part of me that goes, well, it did allow us to, th- it did allow us to be thrown into the action of the movie much quicker. True. I mean, that that maybe maybe that is the thing. Look, that would have added another you know 15 minutes to the movie that that perhaps we really didn't need. Yeah, and, and so I'm I'm very much you know in two minds about that, but we we don't see it. So let's talk about Han. What did you make of um, Alden Ehrenreich? Um, look, I thought he was good. And, and look, I thought it was a solid performance without sort of leaping off the screen. Um, it's hard because I think in some ways he's probably on a hiding to nothing. Because yeah. if he'd have come in and done a Harrison Ford impersonation, he probably would have been slated for it. Yep. And the problem is if he'd have done some other, put his own, try to put his own spin on it, um, he probably would have been slated for that as well. So I think, in some ways, look, given those ideas, I think he was actually pretty good. Yeah, I thought that he gave a very good performance. I've seen him in a couple of movies before this. Uh, I was quite surprised, having seen them, that he was cast as Han Solo. Not because he was remotely bad. He just, mm. did, to me, didn't have that sort of vibe. And I'll, I'll say, just for the record, uh, I still say that uh, an actor called Emery Cohen should have had that. And if any of you don't know Emery Cohen, check him out in the movie Brooklyn. Uh, where he has a very sort of uh, charismatic Han Solo-like character, uh, and also the place behind the place beyond the pines is another very good movie he's in. Um, yeah, I thought he gave a fairly no, a, a perfectly good performance. And once in my mind, I put aside that this guy was trying to play Han Solo and just let him be the lead character of the film. Mm. He did a perfectly good leading actor job. He was charming. He was good looking. He knew his lines. He acted well. He portrayed the right emotions, you know, he, he hit the comedy beats pretty well. He did. Um, I, I guess you could say, look, there probably is, and, and again, it's hard because you, you're comparing him to Harrison Ford and there is probably that, that just that spark 
yeah. perhaps missing. But again, as I said a minute ago, if he'd done a Harrison Ford impersonation, I, he probably would have been panned for it. So, so yeah. So speaking of impersonations, let's talk about Donald Glover as Lando, because I thought this was well a couple of points. Donald Glover to me almost stole the film. Uh, I yeah, I probably that, agree with that. I yeah. thought that he was a very charismatic, fun performance. He's clearly just decided he's playing Lando Calrissian. He's just going to go for it. Yeah. But I did feel that there were times when he was very obviously doing a Billy Dee Williams impression. Yes, I suppose in some ways Lando is probably not as iconic a character. So you probably have a little bit more room, mm-hmm. I would think, with him. But yeah, I thought he actually was really good. Yeah, I don't really have much more to say about him. I mean, look, he's right. He he was charming. Um, he did, you know, the the sort of the the slyer Lando quite well, um, or the scheming Lando quite well. I yeah yeah, he had some very good bits and some very weak bits. I think I think the weakest part is after they have that card game where they play for the Falcon the first time and Han loses because Lando's mm. cheating. Clearly, the way they're setting up that thing is that oh, Han's going to win the Falcon here, and that's how they go off, and he gets the Falcon. They mm. go off and have this adventure. They twist it around, they subvert expectations because Lando wins. And then he's like, so you're going off an adventure? Well, let's take the Falcon then. <laughs> it's like He's not even like, well, where's my prize? I've just won with the spaceship you bet. He's just like, oh, well, okay, cool. let's take the Falcon and go off and have an adventure together. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I think he had one of the cooler moments of the movie, which is when he clearly just decides, you know what? Screw this, I'm out of here. And just, just takes off in the middle. That, that was funny, actually. You know, I've got a whole gang down there in that ship, and then you just see it take off. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. That was a really good moment. Uh, we're talking uh, nostalgia characters here, so let's get on to Chewbacca, I guess. I'm really not sure what to make of this. Um, it was, to be honest, that, that was a surprise, because I, I seem to remember, and whether it's in some of the what's now non-canon stuff was that he rescued Chewbacca from being beaten or whatever by Imperial Guards was always the story I thought growing up but yeah certainly I remember some of the background stuff to like the TIE Fighter X-Wing computer mm. games that was part of it yeah you know so look that that was an interesting surprise actually just because you know the idea that the Wookiees have all been enslaved and the Empire used them as slave labour on different worlds and we do see that obviously later in the movie yeah um, and, and that he met Chewbacca there. It was quite arresting, actually, to sort of see him being thrown into a pit. Now comes the beast. Yes. Once you sort of twig that that's what's happening, you think, oh, okay, I know what this is going to be. But Yeah, I, I twigged as to what was going on. And then I kind of realised that Chewbacca has been down there eating people for a while. Yes. That's a little bit wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and And, you know... In some ways, it's a bit... He finally gets the one guy thrown in who actually knows to speak a little bit of Wookiee yep. that, that makes him stop and, you know, I won't eat this bloke, perhaps, straight away. <laughs> and, and yeah, this is actually, I think, one of um, Alden Eldenreich's best scenes as well because he's playing here off a guy who doesn't speak English mm. and he's just, you know, making Wookiee noises at us. And he is able to convey both the meaning of his conversation whilst carrying on some you know, quite good comic beats mm. and some quite good action beats. And he made it all work. So, you know, real kudos to him. It was a weird scene, but they made it work. Yes. It's then followed up by the scene where they're clearly in the shower together, which was a bit interesting. <laughs> I did sort of... Thankfully, the movie moved on from that quite quickly. But uh... <laughs> So, let's, let's keep going on characters, because, look, 
Woody Harrelson was the big thing mm. about this film. It was the big signing. Yep. It was the big sort of a lot of fans and viewers were like, Woody Harrelson in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Gee, if you, you told me that 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> uh, he was really good. Yeah, I must again, I thought he was really good. Um, he sort of, again, came quite close, I think, a couple of times to stealing the show with some of the scenes. Yes. But he is very much there, obviously, to teach Han Solo, yes, you know, shoot first, never trust anybody. And, and you see him, you know, just bend and turn, obviously, as the situation demands. Yeah, I really like that aspect of the character. I thought it was a shame that they really simplified the plot to such an extent that when he turns around, he does this whole you know, really important lesson, kid. Trust no one. Don't trust anyone, no matter how much you think they're your friend. I'm like, oh, okay, so he's going to betray him later. Yes, that's okay, right. Okay, well, big I know what's flag. going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, big flag. Yeah, he might as well have just put on a big T-shirt and got up and danced and said, I'm going to double-cross you later, <laughs> which was a shame. And and probably one of the greatest shames is that his wife, uh, Val Beckett, uh, who was played by... Uh, Tandy Newton. Yeah. Yes. She was really good. Yeah, she was. I, uh, um, I sort of thought... Yes, it was a shame, unfortunately, she got written out so quickly. Yeah, yeah, she was one of the highlights. And indeed, in a film that has a lot of very strong female characters. Mm. And she was definitely one of them, and she did really, really well. But yeah, it was kind of a shame she was written out. On that point, that is an interesting point of this film, is that being a prequel, like Rogue One, you do get some idea of people who are going to make it to the final reel and who aren't. I can remember when I watched Rogue One, being about a third halfway in it and just sort of doing the, 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 the computations in my head going, okay, so we know that these people get the Death Star plans for the Rebellion. We never see them as part of the Rebellion. <laughs> so either they were like, you know, return the Death Star plans and like, here, go and have a good five-year holiday somewhere or they're not going to make it out. And no. I suspect it's the latter. And sort of being like, oh, gee, okay, these, these guys aren't going to make it out. Wow, mm. this affects how much of the film. Whereas this one as well, I'm sitting there going, well, look, I know that Han doesn't have a girlfriend by Star Wars, so she's clearly probably going to die, or she doesn't, but she needs to be disposed of by the end of the film. Uh, we know that Lando doesn't have a um, droid hanging around with him. He has um, no um, that, that dude from the Mutants. <laughs> Lobot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, he has him hanging around, so clearly the droid doesn't make it to the end of the yep. And there were a few moments like that where I'm like, okay... Unfortunately, we know the, des- the, the the destiny of this character mm. because we know they don't make it to Star Wars. True. Um, in some ways, look, I, I'd probably say in the case of the robot, and maybe that's the next character we'll look at, um, for me, that wasn't such a bad thing. Uh, look, <laughs> so, well, t- tell us about the, the robot. Was it L337 or whatever uh, it was? L, well, I think you just called it L3 for most of the movie. Yeah, L- L337. Yes. I Look, I get what it was trying to do, and I guess, look, we had the... Uh, what was it, KSO, whatever it was, the, the security robot in, uh, in Rogue, Rogue One. One. Yep. Um, I sort of thought it was just another attempt, really, to, to do that. I don't know. I thought it was a joke that outstayed its welcome. Yeah, that's probably a nice way of putting it. I, I don't know. That that really just didn't work for me, to be honest. No. I, I, and the relationship between her and Lando never seemed convincing to me. Well, no, particularly when they sort of tipped into the, you know, um, he loves you, doesn't he? stuff and yeah and she wouldn't admit it or whatever I, I just I don't know and the other thing is now she was voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge who I must admit I'm not familiar with her work I was actually convinced about a third of the way through the film that she was being voiced by Dawn French <laughs> 
and at the end, I'm, I was literally sort of watching the credits, looking to see, oh, is Dawn French's name going to come up? Like, oh, no, she wasn't. Then, but for, in my mind, she was the Dawn French robot for the, oh, the two thirds. That would have been cool, actually. <laughs> so that might have made it better, actually. She had been voiced by Dawn French. But, yeah, I, as I said, I don't know. That, that really didn't work for me uh, at all. So, sorry if it worked for anybody out there, but... Yeah, no, look, I, I didn't mind it, but it, it, it did outstay its welcome. And certainly mm. the the big tragic death scene, I was like, I don't, don't care. No. And, 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 and even the whole, you know, she, she's part of the Falcon now. And it's like, that might have had some resonance if at any point in Empire or Jedi it had been referenced. Mm. And it's just not, and it's just a really cheesy moment. Mm. Um, and it is, um, it is a very Ron Howard kind of cheesy moment um you know ron howard is that person who, when he turns up in the simpsons he's doing all the pictures and it's all about you know builds up to the big dramatic moment where he has to decide if his best friend lives <laughs> or dies and i'm like yeah okay ron howard we get it this is your shtick yeah yeah. I know. yeah so let's talk a bit about the plot i have a big positive in the plot yep. i have a big negative in the plot yep the positive for me is that it kept moving it kept, yeah, it, did. It, it, it kept moving from set piece to set piece, from action beat to action beat. There was stuff going on. I was always intrigued. I was looking to see what happened next. Mm. The downside I have is I have absolutely no idea who the hell half the people in this were or who half the groups were. And I was literally sitting there as an audience member going, okay, so that group's the one that are aligned to them and they're the good guys kind of, and that guy is with them and that group's against them, but they're with them and now they're the good people or are they... What and and so no, she reports to him. And is that a new group? Is that the same group? And why is Warwick Davis there? Like that was <laughs> that was kind of my my view. It didn't really affect the plot because the plot was, as I say, just this one big block of chocolate where you go look at all this fun stuff yeah. happening. Who, who are all these people? Oh, cool, it's Warwick Davis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yes. Did you have a similar sort of experience? I, I did a bit. Um, I was probably more going to make the point. I think. As I said right at the top, if you take the Star Wars and the Han Solo out of this, you are left with a fairly basic heist movie, really. I mean, they he gets into the gang, they have their first attempt and the, and the rival group come in and stop them. Um, they then obviously have to go and report to the crime lord and you know the, the whole idea is this, please don't give us another chance, please don't kill us. Yeah. Um, you then obviously have the, this big reveal that the rogue group actually are, you know, ostensibly what we would call the good guys. Yeah. Um, we then have the stuff, you know, there's the machinations and changing sides within the Crimson Dawn. Um, the cargo eventually of valuable stuff eventually winds up with the good guys, in mm-hmm. inverted quotes, and the bad guys are kind of defeated, or some of them are, and we all live happily ever after, wait for the sequel. Yes, that, that is about the size of it. And as I say, it worked. You're, you're right. If that second kind of heist hadn't been in the mines on Kessel after the Kessel run, mm. would I have cared as much? Maybe not. But, you know, it wasn't defined by that either. I still enjoyed it. Yeah, look, again, we're sort of picking this to bits. It was an enjoyable movie, as you said. It flowed really well. There wasn't really any downtime in it, I didn't think. I wasn't bored at any point. No, no, certainly not. Um, Anything like that. I just, I don't know. It is hard, because when you sit down and you start picking it to bits, you sort of start to see a few flaws. Yeah, it is a very shallow film. Mm. And let's remember here, it is a film that was at least half, if not two-thirds, reshot. That's true. Because they had to change the directors, 
Ron Howard came in and the studio wanted basically a completely different tone. Yes. Well, I think the original guys wanted something more akin to Guardians of the Galaxy, like a very light sort yeah. of yippie type film. Yeah. And, and Disney didn't. No. And Disney won. Yes, they did. <laughs> Disney paid the bills, Disney won. Yes, they the, did. The, the mouse always gets his way. Mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> the house of mouse. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's hard. And look, it would be interesting to see how the movie would have turned out had the original directors been allowed to keep going with it, mm. uh, I think. Because in, in some ways, I mean, I, I think it was Lawrence Kasdan made the point, look, you can have fun with Star Wars, you just can't make fun of Star Wars, which is what I think must have been more the time perhaps these guys were going yeah, for. Yeah, probably, yeah. I think, um, you know, actually doing more <laughs> robot chicken type stuff where they can actually <laughs> have a bit of a piss take, but yeah, maybe. All that said, I mentioned earlier on that the Empire was very good in the first 15 minutes. Mm. We do almost forget about them there. There was a very cool shot of a single Star Destroyer at one point. Oh, yes, coming through the moor, yes. Yep, there were some um, token TIE fighters. Mm-hmm. Did you expect more of the Empire in this? It's interesting, because one note I did have, and, and sort of going off on a bit of a tangent, uh, we're, we're obviously doing a Blake 7 podcast at the moment, and I did think it, there was a whole... I, I thought there was a whole subplot that perhaps I was part expecting but didn't eventuate, which is this thing, when I saw Darth Maul... Um, and I'd had it explained to me what Darth Maul was, I was sort of sitting there afterwards and I was thinking, well, one of the subplots then perhaps could have been, um, there's an episode called Shadow yes, uh, in Blake 7 where it's shown that the evil federation actually control the criminal syndicates as well. So in order to have total control, you control both sides of the law. Yes. Um, and it was sort of a bit, well, actually, I was half ex- once I'd sort of had the Darth Maul stuff explained, I was sort of like, oh, well, I could have actually done that here, really. And it's funny you mention that. I'm convinced somebody involved in the production of this is a Blake 7 fan. <laughs> because you get almost a beat-for-beat beat repeat of the scene at the end of that episode, Shadow. Yes, you do. Where the underling betrays the crime syndicate boss, and then the sort of the, the big, big boss comes in and you know, hands over their property and their territory. And yes, this is now yours. Don't screw it up. Yes. Uh, there was almost, as well, a um, shot-for-shot remake of the end of Star Drive, where they're putting the new stuff into the star drive, yes. and they're even connecting those two cables and doing it. <laughs> and for a moment, I thought that Woody Harrelson was going to be gone at that point. There'll be the, you know, the "What about Doctor Plaxton?" point at that at that moment. <laughs> but even even the way that, and we'll get to her in a moment, the way that Kira was basically set up to betray mm. Han again was very rumours of death. You know, Bartholomew stay close and let you run. So look, if you're not a Blake Seven fan, there are three references you won't get. But if you are. Let us know over social media if you agree with us, because I thought there was some very... Yeah, indeed. I, yeah, I agree with all of those. So we've been skirting around her, but um, Amelia Clark is Kira. If ostensibly the co-lead of this film, what did you make of her? Well, see, it's interesting you say she's the co-lead, because in some ways she really didn't get an awful lot to do. I mean, look, obviously she's there involved in some of the twists. We have the, the big wrench at the start where Han escapes and she doesn't. And you're sort of left wondering, well, what's going to happen to her? You know, clearly criminal syndicates aren't known for being warm and fuzzy with um, people trying to escape from them. So, um, yeah, I mean, and again, she has the big dramatic twist at the end, obviously, where it turns out she's she's betrayed him and then obviously takes over that that part of the syndicate. But other than that, I'm sort of struggling to think of a really big defining moment she had in the film. 
I suspect that she is very much one of the casualties of the changing directors mm. because her plot That's... doesn't quite work. And you're right, there is no big beat to define her. Mm. Uh, she gets a number of cool action scenes and, and you know, she holds yeah. her end up very well in that. I must admit, as I said earlier, I did think that she was going to be for the high jump before the end of it. I thought, you know, she doesn't make it to Star Wars, so therefore she's going to be killed, Han's yep. going to be devastated, and that sort of explains Han's you know, emotional distance from women by the time we get to him, and I thought, you know, that, that's very obvious. So the twist was good, and I didn't yeah. see it coming, and it does set it up for a sequel, and we'll, we'll talk about that. She was fine, but she was overshadowed by some of the other males' leads, unfortunately. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. So a couple of uh, nice moments I want to mention. Chewie sitting down in the co-pilot's chair for the first time. Did that make you feel warm and fuzzy? I mean, you're obviously going to see them get the Millennium Falcon. And in some ways it was cool that we actually got to see them fly the ship before they actually took ownership of it. Yep. And yeah, look, it was pretty cool seeing both, you know. And the movie did make a point of it too. Of yes. that, that moment where you see them both, and only Han points Chewie into the co-pilot's chair. And yeah, and you get that just... just fraction of a moment where you just dwell on the pair of them this is the team and they're on the ship yeah that, that, that did make me feel warm and fuzzy that was a yeah. nice moment uh, the bit where Han cheats Lando out of the Falcon <laughs> I actually thought look that was really cool it was incredibly obvious it was incredibly cliche it, it, it was going to happen was you, you would think Lando would have noticed the card was missing sometime before that but... yeah look all of that but the way that Donald Glover plays it I just thought was really cool. Yeah, it was a nice little coda. It, it, it was, and it was a very, I thought a very good Lando moment in that he wasn't like, you know, you bastard, you cheated me. He's just like, okay, dude, fair dues, well played. You know, you're, you're a bastard. I hate you for it, but okay, fair play to you. Yeah. I, I thought that was actually well, a really I've been cool outdone by a bigger bastard than I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that was actually really cool. Uh, one thing I want to mention that wasn't in the film, mm-hmm. Vader. Yes. Did you go in expecting a Vader cameo? Would it have been too obvious? Uh, yes, but that wouldn't necessarily stop them. Yeah, I, I did wonder whether we would get, maybe not even Vader, whether we would get a cameo from somebody yeah. um, that, that we know from, from the original, from the Holy Trilogy. <laughs> but uh, I, I did wonder also whether that would just be too obvious. Let's face it, everybody talks about how the highlight of Rogue One was that you know two minutes of Vader. <laughs> Well, yeah, true. And it's a shame he's not actually like that in the original movies, but <laughs> yes. Yeah, everybody says that. So I thought, you know, they're going to want their money shot, so to speak. Mm. Um, I was a bit worried, as you said, it might have been somebody like, you know, Boba Fett's just there for no apparent reason. Mm. Uh, Jabba was hinted well, they, at. Well, they did name drop Bosk. They did? Yes. Yep. Um, Jabba is hinted at, but mm. very much as the sort of, hey, I'm going to go hang out with this dude. I want to know what will happen, kids. Mm. <laughs> uh, so that was fine. So, yeah, I, I just noted that. Hey, one moment I did like, you do actually see during the fight on Kessel, you do actually see Chewie rip somebody's arm out. <laughs> I did, yes. That was a little gruesome, but I did actually think that was that was quite a nice link to Star Wars. Uh, actually, yes, it was. And that actually got quite a bit of a chuckle from the audience I was in. So, yeah, a fair comment to that. Funny we laugh at that sort of thing. But... <laughs> yeah, and, and, and once again, the relationship between Han and Chewie probably was one of the highlights of the film. Mm. I, I actually think that that did do justice to the original. Yeah. So, before we sort of get on to a couple of ending points I want to mention, I just want to have a bit of a talk about Disney and Star Wars and where they are and what they're doing. I'm, and so I'm going to go on, not, not a rant here, but I've got a bit of a, a, a yeah. comment to make. When you make a film normally, somebody has an idea for a story. And at some point, a writer or a director links up with a studio and they have a very long chat before they even go into pre-production 
and they say, right, what's your vision for this movie? Mm. What's your vision for this movie? What's the tone going to be like? What's the budget going to be like? Who do we see starring in it? Is, is it sort of big-name characters? Is it new actors? Is it going to have a lot of filming? Is it going to be done in studio? All of that sort of thing. And mm. you know, is it funny? Is it serious? Is it action beat? You know, is it a, is it a hard R? All of that sort of yeah. thing. And when they're convinced they all are on the same page, you then go and make a movie. Mm-hmm. What Star Wars has been doing seems to be, okay, we need to make a lot of movies. We need to make them quickly. Find me the latest director that is, you know, hot enough to be interested and exciting, but not so hot that they cost us a lot of money. Yes, or are going to do something too radical that, that, yep. that doesn't meet the brand. Yep, just find me a new hot young director and just say, go and make us a Star Wars movie. And then as they're in the process of filming it, and this has happened several times now, the studio's sort of going, you're not really making the movie we wanted you to make. And the director's like, well, you never, we never had this conversation. Yeah. And at some point there's a clash, and as I said before, the mouse always wins. <laughs> so to me, it's not so much a case of them making too much Star Wars. I think it's a case of the lag times for these movies haven't been enough. Mm. And if they sort of sat down and worked out, okay, what is the movie we want to make? They spend a lot of time working with a couple of directors, put it together, workshop it, and, and work out why they're making these films and what they're going to be like, and, and then start to make them, give them a longer lead time, rather than just, right, we need a, we need a Han Solo movie, we need it for the middle of uh, 2018, go make us a film. And it's just not thought through. Yeah, that, that's an interesting idea because I suppose in terms of too much, because you think of, of the Marvel stable, look, I know they're Disney as well, but um, you sort of think they're, at least in the Marvel Universe, you've actually got a different group of characters you can go and hang out with each time. Okay, yes, you've just had the big Avengers movie where they all come in together, but let's face it, I mean, the next movie is Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> yeah, which couldn't be less consequential yeah, um, to try. we've obviously got Deadpool out at the moment. Yeah. Um, you've, which, which is extremely controversial. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then there's a bit of a go, and then you're going to have Captain Marvel... But you've actually got these other different universes, really, that you can go and sort of hang out in yeah. um, before you get the re- next really big blockbuster. But, but again, a couple of key points. One, the Marvel Universe has got Kevin Feige. Well, it has. Who is, who is sitting there, and he is not just the executive producer in terms of dollars and cents. He is the spiritual and the story. He is the grand architect. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The, great, the great maker. Yes. Um, as opposed to Kathleen Kennedy at Disney, who's basically just... I want a lot of movies that make me a lot of money. Mm. And, and that is a difference. But again, you know, you mentioned Captain Marvel there. Captain Marvel has been in development now for some years. And they've, again, gone through that process of, we want to do a Captain Marvel film, so we're going to find the right director, we're going to find mm. the right star, we're mm. going to find the right plot, and when we're ready, we're going to make Captain Marvel. And that that's, you know, what... what Yes. I think is a very, very big difference. As opposed to Solo, where they, they... I mean, they just threw themselves into this with no real pre-production time. And, mm. and, and the result was... Look, not a bad movie, but a movie that required a lot of rewrites and took a lot of criticism in the, in the mm. making of. Mm. Now, they confirmed the next standalone one is an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, I think, now, haven't they, finally? Um, I don't know if it's confirmed, confirmed. I don't think Disney's done the big formal announcement, but it's certainly being talked about. Right, okay. And again, well, so let, let me ask that question. Where do you see these movies going from here? We've got one more saga film to come at least. Then there's talk there's going to be another saga trilogy, which will be a whole new set of characters. Mm. But these standalone movies, I mean... It's, it's interesting because, I mean, this, well... 18 months ago, I mean, look, we were all singing the praises of Rogue One. Yeah. 
Um, but I think the thing Rogue One did do, and yes, look, obviously there were a couple of crossover characters. Rogue One really, I guess, gave us a completely new set of characters and really told us a completely new story. Yeah. Um, yes, it was something we already knew happened, but it was something we didn't know very much about. I mean, at the start of Star Wars, you're just presented with the fact that, hey, look, the Rebels have got these plans. Um, you don't really know where they've come from. And they're obviously running from the Empire because the Empire worked out they've got them. Yeah. So I guess you've got a fair bit of room to manoeuvre in there and, and expand and tell whatever story you want to tell. I, I think with this one, you are kind of constrained because there is a, again, as we said, there is a checklist of stuff in this that we know Han Solo did before Star Wars and we're going to want to see it all. And I suspect that might be the problem perhaps with an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie because if it is set between the end of Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars... So basically the 18 years he's sitting in the cave. Yes. Um, I think there is, again, some now either extended universal or non-canon stuff that, about what does happen there, um, which, again, I think actually might also include Darth Maul. But, yeah, I believe so, yeah. But, again, you, you know what your start and end points are. Yeah. So you, you, you are kind of... I, I do wonder whether you are going to be a bit constrained about Which brings me to my next question, which is, would you be interested in a solo sequel? Because to my mind, the next movie is actually the more interesting one. We've done the checklist. He's met Lando. Yeah, he's that's met a good point, Chewie. actually. He's got the Falcon. Now you can do whatever you like with this guy because he's now got a pretty open slate yep. until he arrives on Moss Eisley. That's true, actually. Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good point. I think, yeah, a sequel could be really quite interesting. Mm. Um, I would much rather see these characters actually go and do something un-Star Wars related mm. than I would see an Obi-Wan film. I'm certainly not remotely interested in a Boba Fett film. I just have no interest in Boba Fett at all. Like, he, he, he's a guy that gets two lines in Empire. Mm. I mean, yep, okay, he gets to, you know, take Solo back to Jabba. And then he's got, you know, a couple of lines in um, Return of the Jedi before he's thrown into the Sarlacc gets eaten. Yeah. You know, you know the, 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 this guy that's such a big badass that, you know, he gets accidentally bumped into the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> I have no interest in seeing that character at all. Oh, come on, you've seen the robot chicken clip. He threw all those thermal detonators and whatever before he jumped in. <laughs> Volunteered, more like. <laughs> and I mean, it always comes back to, you know, for me, the Timothy Zahn Thrawn trilogy, because yeah. they're the books that really turned me into a Star Wars fan more than the films. You know, I, I like the films. I was of the generation that came to the films on VHS. Yep. You know, I liked them. My friends liked them. But it was it was the, the books that I was like, wow, there's a lot you can do with these characters and this is a really cool setup. Yeah. And and that's kind of what I guess I want to see more from the film. So, a couple of little questions to finish up. Uh, best performance of the movie, Richard? Who were you going to pick? That's an interesting one. I mean, look, it's tempting to go for Donald Glover mm-hmm. uh, because I, I think he does a really good job as Lando. Um, and you're right. I, I think he has clearly decided exactly where he wants to pitch it and he does want to do a, a sort of a Billy D. Williams type impression. And I think it comes off. Um, I could also nominate Woody Harrelson because I thought he was really good. I'm, I did sort of do the, oh, Woody Harrelson. Okay. Uh, when they said he was the star. But I am actually going to give it to Alden Ehrenreich. Okay. Um, just for mainly the points I said earlier because I think really that was a really tough job I think he had. And look, I actually thought he pulled it off. Look, he certainly wasn't bad. Um, and I think given the constraints he would have been working under, I thought he actually did a good job. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you've said. Uh, I toyed with giving it to someone we haven't mentioned, 
who's actually Paul Bettany as one of the baddies. Oh, yes. Uh, because, look, he, he does actually do quite a good job of being sinister. Uh, you sort of get that feeling he's always slowly on, on the hair trigger. Mm. You know, anything could happen. So I quite like Paul Bettany, but I am actually going to give it to Woody Harrelson because okay. I think that, you know, he came to that movie, he carried a lot of scenes that you know yes, really would have struggled without him. Uh, he convinces you when he you know switches sides a couple of times and... He has a good ending, and you know mm. I, I really like his character. So, look, we've just mentioned between us four or five actors and characters we thought yep. were quite good. So, yeah, that, that's a good thing about the movie. And, and look, as I said, we have been down on it a few times during this discussion. Um, I want to reiterate: I did really enjoy it. I was happy, quite happy. I went and saw it. I was quite happy. I went and saw it at midnight. Um, I really did enjoy it. On that comment, though, what was your low point of the movie? <laughs> and, uh, it's actually going to be a character. I, I'm actually going to go with the robot. Um, it did take me out of the movie, and I, I don't know, it didn't work for me, and I think you're right. I think it's a joke that, that perhaps just went on too long. Uh, my low point is going to be uh, the giving Han Solo the name that we didn't know wasn't his name to start <laughs> with. Not, not just because it was completely unnecessary, but because it was such a really bad like attempt at a joke, like, oh, you're here all alone. I guess you can be Han Solo. <laughs> and the acting was terrible. Yeah. So that was my low point. Uh, what was your high point? Um, I'm actually going to go... I've got a couple, actually. The, the one we mentioned earlier where we see uh, Han and Chewie in the cockpit of the Falcon for the first time, and the movie does take a second just to show you that yep. this is, hey, look, these guys are in the cockpit. Uh, I thought that was really cool. The other bit I'm going to go for, I think, is the meeting Chewbacca scene because that wasn't what I expected it was going to be. I did go in with a very clear idea. Um, of how I thought that scene was going to play out because, again, because I'd read all the extra stuff and, you know, how Chewie owes Han a life debt and all this sort of stuff, mm. which really... And, and they did something completely different with it. So that that was a nice surprise. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, certainly, as we said, you know, the, the, the cockpit scene was really good. Uh, I really liked, as I said, some of the stuff on Corellia. Not so much with Madame Proxima, although that was kind of fun, you know, with the giant giant Muppet grub thing. <laughs> you know, that, that felt like Star Wars. Uh, but all, all the stuff of them trying to escape, I thought that was quite tense. It mm. set up the world quite well. But I'm going to go for the first heist scene. Because oh, yes. this is fundamentally a, a heist movie mm. in the way that Star Wars is fundamentally a Western movie. Mm. And that first heist is kind of what the movie's built around. And I thought it worked really, really well. It's done in an unusual location. Those sort of snow peaks. Yeah. yeah, it's a good set piece. It looks good. The characters will get something to do. It's where you start to see Han and Chewie first, you know, work together. Mm. Um, Woody Harrelson's really good. As we said, his wife, the character of his wife is really good. Uh, I thought that hung together really well. And if in a heist movie the heist was fun, mm. that's kind of what you want. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, look, I, I can only echo what you said. I enjoyed the movie. It is very easy to pick apart. Mm. There were some weak stuff. I think it, I think it pushed the nostalgia... You know, let, let's face it, it puts the nostalgia to the levels of fan wank at times. And, and that wasn't needed. It didn't need to be that. But it's a good, fun, simple movie. The final question then is, how does this compare? I'm not, I won't ask you to compare it to the Holy Trilogy, but how does this compare to the other Disney Star Wars? I came out of Rogue One feeling a lot better than I did out of this one, um, I think. Because when I sort of started to process this one after I walked out of the movie, uh, again, look, the, the holes and stuff I didn't really like mm. um, were apparent. I was a little bit down on Last Jedi, 
Um, I think, I remember when we were talking about it afterwards, I think you enjoyed it more than, than I did. But and, and Michael enjoyed it less than both of us. Yes, true. Uh, yes, I think his uh, first comment was, meh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, I think it's a reasonably good entry. I don't think it's one that will stand up to repeated viewings, and I think that perhaps might be where it will fall down. It, it probably won't find that place of, you know, this is one you can just drag out and watch um, every few years. You see, I disagree with you in part. I think that both Force Awakens and Last Jedi are good films that are going to age nicely. Mm. They're, they're like the original Star Wars trilogy in that you can go back every couple of years, watch them, see a different character, see a different thing. Mm. There's a lot to actually unpick in those. This is a different sort of movie. This is the movie I can see being just in a mood for something light and fun and pulling it out and going, you know what, this is going to kill two hours, I'm going to have fun doing it. And I think it's going to be better than Rogue One in that sense, because although I agree Rogue One is a bigger hit of a film in the time, mm. I think that Rogue One kind of only works once. Like once, once, and, and, and for, the, for what it's worth, I think Infinity Wars is going to be a bit like that as well. Mm. Like once you've seen it once and you've had the, wow. Yeah, that, that probably is true. Does it ever come back from that? That, that probably is true, because I'll be honest and say, I... Haven't I don't think I've seen any of these Disney ones more than once. I oh, actually no, I tell a lie. I did watch Force Awakens. I have watched Force Awakens on DVD because mm-hmm. um, I watched that with my son because he didn't go to the midnight screening. But um, <laughs> no, we did watch you, that. you didn't take your eight-year-old son to the midnight no, screening. No, no, damn! What a, what a bad parent I am. <laughs> um, yeah. So look, there, there is probably that. I think a lot of these big blockbusters though are quite disposable, yes. really. Um, I, I'd be honest, struggling to think most of the Marvel ones. I mean, look, there's some of those I've watched a second time again because we probably watched them on DVD. But I, I can't honestly say I've been really busting to see any of these Disney Star Wars ones again. Yeah, and, and again with the Marvel ones, the ones that I've gone back to a second time are the ones that are fun. Mm. And you know you're just going to be entertained with a bit of cheesy fun. And, and I think this is where this is going to be. I think people will never say this is a great film. I think a lot of people will find it better than they expected. But I think it will become known as just a good bit of Star Wars fun. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. No. Well, on that note, I think we'll uh, wrap it up there. Thank you very much for chatting about Solo with us, Richard. No worries. Thanks for having me on. That's all right. And if you want to hear us chat some more, you can check out... Uh, Let's get back to Blake 7. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll, 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 you can check us out on Spacefall, a Blake 7 podcast. Or if you're quick, you can catch the last three episodes of the Goodies Pirate podcast before we wrap that up. Yes, that's right. I'm uh, editing the third last one at the moment. so Excellent. We, we have unfortunately just finished the televised series. We are into our specials now. But... Uh, but yeah, there's a couple of podcasts that we do. Uh, otherwise, I'll certainly be talking to you listeners in the next Doctor Who show. In fact, our next episode is a special on the Virgin books. Ah. And then at the end of the month, we're talking season five of Doctor Who, the monster season. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah. But I'm sure we'll talk to you again in this format sometime soon, Richard. Yes. And who knows? On your way, you may just take a walk in the Black Forest. <laughs> <laughs>